Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays, and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves, and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Karoli is a TED speaker and the founder and CEO of Jobatical. In 2020, the EU Council named her one of the eight most inspiring women in Europe. In the interview, Karoli shares her personal growth as a leader and the pivotal moments that has shaped her. She emphasizes the importance of self-care and scheduling time for personal well-being to be a more effective leader. Looking ahead, she aims to revolutionize the relocation industry, making it as easy as booking a flight. Hi, Karoli, and welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. Hello, Sumit. Happy to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. And to begin with, can you start with a very small introduction of who you are? Yes, I'm currently I'm the co-founder and CEO of Chubatical. And basically what Chubatical does is that we are using automation and AI to make the hideous visa and relocation process for employees faster, so twice faster and three times lower cost. So basically we are using, instead of expensive lawyers, we have built a system that makes all those decisions and provides a, a delightful experience for moving to another country. Because anybody who has moved to another country knows how hideously hard this process can be. And that's what we are changing in the world. Thank you. That might be an interesting problem to tackle. But before we come to that, can you share a little bit more of your background? How did you get to Jobatical and doing what you're doing today? Yeah, I have quite, I would say, a longer story because I started as an entrepreneur very young. I was 16 from a student company project, which I accidentally became part of and accidentally invented something that actually, uh, two things, saved people's lives and made me the youngest inventor in my country. So that, as you can imagine, taught me a lot about marketing storytelling but it also showed me one thing and it showed me that with the time I have on planet earth I only want to make a difference so uh, I have jokingly said I became addicted to making a difference so before Jobatical I've actually 
been building businesses before Jubatical. The last thing I did was building up seven TV channels across Northern Europe. So from National Geographic, Fox Entertainment channels, and before that, MTV. So that's a short background. Yeah, thank you. That's quite an interesting story, right? But can you share maybe at that early age, what inspired you to do something on your own or to invent? And what do you think that doing it as at that early age, what do you think has been the advantage or maybe oh. even a disadvantage to that here? Yeah, I think there are a few things. First of all, I mean, I literally had never thought of becoming an entrepreneur. I was a dancer. That's what I did. I did a lot of dancing trainings back then. Then I thought I will become a dancer. But my school was part of Junior Achievement Economic and Study Program. And what actually triggered was that my class had to do a student company and they chose me to be the president. It was such a flattering feedback from my classmates. But the most changing moment, and I can actually make me teary, was that so I come from Estonia, which today is the most digital country in the world. When I was 16, it was a very different place. It was post five years before the Russian tanks had left the country. So we were occupied before that. So it was a poor country. I was from a small town. And when I went and shared my idea with my father, the idea that I had for the student company, he could have just told me, forget about your silly ideas. Go and study. You're a girl in Eastern Europe. Go and study. Instead, what he told me, so my late father told me back then, he said that, oh my God, this is such a great idea. Why don't you go to the patent office? Obviously, as a 16-year-old, I had no idea what a patent office was. But what I got from that moment was that my father believed in something that I had created. See, I'm curious. So that, I think that moment defined my choices in life. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's so important to honor those people who have shaped us and believed in us when it matters the most. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, thank and you. And for... I look at my 10-year-old and I think about the conversations I'm having with her because when is that, so we never know when is that defining moment where we actually mm. make their decisions. So anyway, so that's, uh, I'm very thankful for my late father for that. Thank you. Once again, thank you. I totally appreciate and honor that you're sharing that in that moment of vulnerability. But you also mentioned about TV channels. Oh, uh, yes. Now and by the way, doing... I, I, before that, you asked me another yeah. interesting question. What advantage or disadvantage gives? I think one of the things I would like to say is that that starting so early gave me an advantage to do one thing, to make a lot of mistakes and learn from them. So I have had, for example, I have had so much more time in learning from my mistakes in hiring that today I must say that I'm really great at hiring. But I did used to be. So I think the biggest advantage is that I had time to make mistakes and learn from them. And, and I'm very thankful for all those lessons that have shaped me into the leader I am today. Yeah. And you also mentioned about being a girl in Eastern Europe. Can you share how your view about yourself has changed? And especially when you speak mm -hmm. with other leaders, other women leaders, maybe mm -hmm. from your country or even from other countries, how do you see that you have evolved and grown over mm -hmm. a period of time? Yeah, I think as a leader, I have grown and evolved a lot. I think those are two kind of different topics and two different things to tackle. So if I think about being a woman and a leader, honestly, some years ago, I wrote a post how it took me 33 years to become a feminist, because I do think that there's a lot of work that needs to be still done last year in the, when we look at the venture capital market and in Europe, guess how, what was the percentage of funding that went to female founders last year? in Europe, across Europe. 
I think it's maybe less than 20%. It's one percent. A lot. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done, and definitely inside my country, across Europe in general. But maybe I will not tackle in. But but as a leader, again, as I mentioned, that I have had much more time to make mistakes. But I must say that there have been some pivotal moments, and maybe one of them it's good to share because maybe that will open something up for somebody else. And so I think as a leader, I've grown the most in Jabatical. And there was one moment where I must say it was such a hard moment, but so it was in 2018, I still had quite a small team and we had our first like HR person joining us. And she did this anonymous survey asking how everybody is. And one of the questions she asked was, with whom you have a hard time working with? And guess what? Quite a few people said it's Karali. And that's not a great feedback to get as a CEO. I took that feedback. It was harsh. It was hard to digest, but I also took it. I took a step back and I tried to understand why. And what I saw, and I actually understood very fast, I had been an entrepreneur since I was 16, meaning that I have been doing things alone for a long time. And I, even though now I had teams, I had actually, I was acting as though I'm in Loma. I was micromanaging everyone. So what I did was I stood in front of the team, first of all, Thank them for that feedback because that was so valuable for me. And what I told them is that in order for me that I saw why it's hard to work with me and I want to change that, but bad habits don't go away fast. So what I told them was that in order for me to change, I need us to be brutally transparent with our feedback and that they have to let me know when I'm doing it again. And I will do the same to them. And to be honest, today... This is very much like the DNA of Jubatica. Like people love working here. Today we have about 100 people globally. People love working in this company because of the feedback culture, the transparency. But that came from their feedback to me. And I had to change a lot. And looking back, so we hire people to help to build companies. But if we don't really let them use their power, we start to man- micromanage them, then we might as well not hire them, right? But otherwise, it's a waste of money if you have to do everybody's job. So this feedback a lot helped me, but it also shaped the DNA of our organization moving forward. So I'm very thankful for my team. Or being brutally honest back then in that yeah, way. Yeah, and it is often very difficult to receive that feedback, but also work on that. As you mentioned, old habits take a long time to change. Can you share how was that process for you and what or who helped you in that process? Yeah, so a few things. First of all, I think you have to you like admit and own your weaknesses. Because there could have been a version of that story where I would have said, I get angry, say no, and take the, dismiss the feedback, right? And continue as usual. So I think the first thing is you have to own that this is actually feedback that will help me to grow. And when I grow, then we can grow together. I did a communication bootcamp organized by our American investor, where usually you send managers. But I'd said that I think I need it as well. So I went there, took a lot of learnings of how to communicate in a way that feedback is helpful, how to do one-on-ones better. So I actually did a series of things to actually to grow myself. And I, I think one big impact, and it's a major impact and something that I recommend to every CEO on planet Earth, is I actually was introduced to an executive coach, an American with whom I still work with. It was introduced by my American investor. And she became like, she was like my teacher in the growth process. Because being a 
CEO is very lonely. You have your investors, you have your team, but everybody has their stakeholders. And you have your family also stakeholders. So I think getting an executive coach, that was one of the best decisions that I have actually made in my life. And when I was introduced to that coach, she knows that story very well. My first thought was, I don't need a coach. And I think that thought illustrated how much I actually needed that coach. So that collaboration and work individually with myself was, I think, the journey that I took then. Thank you for sharing that. I think those two lines says a lot and many entrepreneurs speak that. And I think this listening to this episode will be a good lesson or a good humbling moment for many. Now coming to Jobatical, can you share where this idea came from? This matters to you and what is your vision? Yeah, and I will tell also the founding story because we have not had a linear journey. So we have had a quite a opposite of linear journey. So my first idea for Jobatical started, I was actually in Silicon Valley. I was in a thing called Singularity University. And, and this was located in NASA Ames Research Center. So we lived and studied in NASA for summer. And since I'm a runner, I used to run from NASA in Mountain View to Seaside. And when I was running, then I passed Google. And then I started to think, so why are those amazing companies like Google coming from here? What's up with this place on planet Earth that it's creating more industry changing companies? And I started to look into it. And what I learned was that it's not that people are just born smarter there. It's that smart people are ready to circle the globe to actually join those companies and build them up. Right. I think it was like 74% of engineering talent was foreign born in Silicon Valley. And so my question coming from far away country in Europe, I started and having been an entrepreneur for a long time, I started to ask, what do we need to do so that those people who are ready to circle the globe would discover places like Amsterdam or Tallinn or Helsinki or Stockholm or Madrid and help to build visions and companies in those countries. So we could basically build Silicon Valley outside Silicon Valley. Long story short, initial version of Jubatical was, so we started as a cross-border recruitment platform. And by 2019, we had almost about half a million users across the world. We had people got hired from 52 countries to 37 countries. The company was doing, we had actually, by that time, we had raised 8 million. And, but what happened was that while we were doing this cross-border recruitment, our clients started to ask, could you also help those people to get into the country? So we hired through you. Could you also help with the whole hideous paperwork? So we started to support that. First, we learned that this is hideous. Like, seriously, there has to be a better way to do it. And secondly, this started to grow faster as our corporate business. So in 2019, July, we pivoted the company. And pivoting the company meaning said that we will put aside four years of work Took 2 million left, which were of the 8 million we had raised. Told my board that we're going to start from the scratch, a completely new business. That was a fun board meeting. And, but what was triggering it, it was very data-driven decision. So we saw that, first of all, that there was a pain that we had discovered that our clients had that is much more painful than the hiring part that we were doing. So basically we saw that here we are a painkiller. Whereas as a recruitment platform, we were a vitamin and, and the bet was right. We pivoted the company, started from the scratch. Today, we are over 30 countries. We raised over 20 million euros. 
And we saw last year, mm. like eight times MR growth, which was an insane. So they dream of a hockey stick. So yeah, but it was a, it wasn't a linear story. It was a story yeah. of a big change. Congratulations for that. And I'm quite curious because 2020 COVID hit. So yeah. did that uh, caused an impact because heavy remote hiring <laughs> increased, but relocation stopped. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. So can you share? <laughs> Well, that year was so basically it was eight months after we pivoted. I was just about to close a round actually with the new investors and uh, Europe went to lockdown. And if you imagine if your core business is moving people from one country to another, it went like, (laughs) but there are a few things. First of all, we made some of our best product decisions because of COVID, which we Today we can look back and, uh, but I think that's one of the things I always tell the team is that everything is for our growth. The second thing is I remember there was a board meeting in July, 2020. And the thing what people don't usually know is that when traveling was completely locked down, the movement for employment continued actually in May, most European countries opened up in May for employment related. So planes were very empty and tourists were not around, but the employment related movement still continued. I remember 2020 July, I had a board meeting and my, one of my board members and friends, Alec Cross, who was previously Larry Clinton's innovation advisor, he said all the words, he was looking at the numbers we were presenting, how we we're doing. And he said that the fact that Chubatical didn't die is a sign of a bigger trend in that market. So basically that even such harsh conditions like lockdowns didn't didn't impact. We actually managed to grow twice that year, which was crazy. I think, and I think he's right. So never in history, human history, have people moved as much as they do today. And the second thing is never in human history, we have had as painful talent shortage as we have today. Mm. And it's going to go. So those two things together, means that our industry needs to really upgrade and yeah. you have moved like how badly this it's a, it's outdated it's paper heavy there's so much that the technology that is already here mm-hmm. can change just to make it more efficient as well as better experience but it was a hard year and i must say during that hard year i made as a ceo also pretty controversial decisions which Looking back, were right decisions. Looking at this moment, were very risky mm-hmm. decisions in terms of not shutting down the new markets, etc. Which meant that during this one year, the twenty-one, we almost ran out of money four times. Can you imagine that? One was two. I closed around in March twenty twenty-one, two days before we would have run out of money. So it was a very mm. tough time for us as well. But I'm glad that a lot of the bets we made actually paid off, and it also made us. For example, today I have such a, I have a strong CFO next to me who does cash flow forecast every day to me because no surprises, like we cannot have any surprises like I had during that year. So it also made us much more effective. So looking Mm. back, I'm very thankful again. Yeah. Yeah. And as we talk about tough times and making these like critical decisions, can you share, how do you manage your own like sense of calm or balance and not let Mm. the pressure get to you during those moments? Uh, again, very good question. And I have had a lot of learnings there. I must say that, and the learning I'm happy to share because I wish somebody would have told me earlier. So first of all, so I mentioned already executive coach, which I recommend for any CEO, but also I schedule myself. So in the morning, for example, I start with a meditation, then I do exercise, I go running, then I go swimming. I do the cold water swimming. So in minus 20 degrees, I'm also in the Baltic Sea swimming. So I do those things for myself 
every morning before I start work, by the time when I start work, I feel so happy about myself and and just physical being is so in such a good place that it makes me much more efficient. It makes me happier and it makes me a better leader. So I've really started to schedule myself and I didn't do that. Like, I think we all have been in the places where you wake up at 5 a.m. and open your computer and go crazy until, but it's, it doesn't actually help you. The more you actually take care of yourself as a leader, the better you can lead. So yeah, that helped a lot. Yeah. And how long does that take? Because you mentioned the, like a myriad of activities. How long does yeah, that yeah. take you in the morning? So usually two and a half hours. And then I take my daughter to school. But yeah, two and a half hours is like with my meditation runs, exercises and swim. It's my, it's that, if it's scheduled, nobody can put anything there. It's my personal block. And I do it when I travel. I do it when I don't travel. And it's always, I think it's easy, especially as a CEO or leader, to start saying that, Find excuses not to take care of yourself. Yeah. But it's so rewarding when you actually do take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah. So when do you work? <laughs> After that, and I'm actually much more efficient, I think, than I would be when I wake up five and start basically not take care, mm-hmm. take, taking care of myself. But I start my day very early. I start my day like 5.30. It is a commitment to myself. Absolutely. And I want to slow down and highlight that 2.5 hours of I would even call it an investment into yourself and you mentioned the word commitment and this is such a wonderful lesson for a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs who don't have even half an hour or they find it difficult to dedicate any time because they see that they are too busy and I think what you are saying is you are more effective as a CEO because Mm -hmm. of this morning routine right exactly yeah every day so I truly recommend it Everybody can find their own patterns. Maybe it's not the morning for you. Maybe it's like an afternoon. Or, but scheduling yourself will help. It's a, almost a promise that it will help you to become mm. a more effective leader. Absolutely. So now if we move into a little bit into the future, can you mm-hmm. share what are some of the mm-hmm. biggest opportunities that lie ahead mm-hmm. of you and what might be the challenges that they present? Mm-hmm. So let's uh, talk about like, what my team is working towards every day. So we wake up, we have people from Indonesia to America to Brazil and in between, right? And every day what we work towards is very simple. It's making moving to a new country as easy as booking a flight. If you think about how traveling, booking a flight worked 15 years ago, then you went to an agency and filled papers. You don't do that anymore. And this is what we're doing with technology for moving to a new country. And, and the opportunity in that sense, it's a very exciting time for us because, as I said, there are two major tailwinds, actually three even. One is the enormous talent shortage. Second is that people in general want to move more like 80% of millennials want to move and work abroad. And that will be 75% of the global workforce by 2025. So a lot of people mm. are aspiring to actually work in another country. But on top of that, there's a new way. So a third tailwind is the digital nomad employees, which is a completely new type of move that we are seeing more and more, especially post-pandemic. So all of that together means that there's a lot of opportunities. Now, if you look at the relocation market, there's approximately 280 million relocations or moves globally every year. That's a lot of moves. But mm-hmm. If you look at the market, who is like the providers, Deloitte, the Pragomen, the legacy providers, the dinosaurs of our industry, they are able to today only capture about 7% of them. 
So 7% is even captured. The rest of it, not nobody's even capturing today. So there's a huge market opportunity in our industry. And, uh, and I think the core, so the core thing is that what we are changing is in a way, like what, what happened in ride hailing industry, that suddenly the rider, the one who is calling the taxi was put in the center as their user experience was put in the center. So suddenly you could rate, how was your experience? Was the driver rude to you? All of those things. So that's exactly the kind of thing that we are changing in our industries, that the person who is moving has been torn between authorities, lawyers, and being in between and being very confused and very afraid. So now we are putting, we, or we have put them into the center. We ask every step on the way, how is your experience? We're able even to predict if an experience mm. is going to start to go or is going bad. We can go and see what's wrong with that case. So we're really, what we want to do is that this, what moving to a new country, which has been like a monster. When I pivoted the company, I actually used the immigration visual was like an ugly monster because it has been a monster. And we believe that, and we are already in a country where we operate, that we can turn it into a cuddly animal, that the experience can actually be good. And what our aim is, not only are we doing the immigration bit, but we are also plugging in any like partners who are, you need to find an apartment in that new country, right? So we have a partner plugged into our platform who can help you with that. Or you need to ha open a bank account similarly. So that we, our aim is to become the one-stop shop for relocation. And this is what we are building towards. Yeah. And you spoke about the tailwinds, right? What are some of those headwinds that you face? Uh, the headwinds, in, in that sense, I think the headwinds were 2020, we saw quite a bit of headwinds. But I think definitely short term there, we... Since last autumn, we all, anybody in B2B business has seen some headwinds in terms of economy, hiring going down. But the interesting thing is that what we are seeing also is that the slowdown or more of cost sensitivity mm. that companies have now is helping us to also take away the market from the legacy providers. Because if a company, let's say, is using an old provider who's doing everything manually. It's very expensive. It's slow and expensive, but in a good time, they would say that, but we're used to them and they have so many, we're used to them. So we're not going to change. Then today, everybody's reviewing what they're, how much they are spending where. And since we're yeah. significantly able to take down the price, what we have seen is that even the headwinds, some parts like longer term, they are helping us to take the legacy providers market away. So. It's mm. like a two-in-one answer. Yeah, yeah. And earlier you mentioned that you're also close to 100 employees now. So within the organization, what challenges does that present to your role as a CEO? And given that you will also continue to grow this number. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's a very, yeah, it's a def that's definitely, I, I must say, so we have every year we organize like a summit where we bring everybody together in one country. Mm. We have events there a whole week. And I saw last autumn, I told the, the, the team also that I saw there was a change because when before you were this tiny startup, everybody knew everybody, right? Shoulder to shoulder. And then suddenly I was standing at the summit and there was a line of people who wanted to take a picture with me. So how did we get here now? But so it's definitely as a, because I had been found, founding companies, building the TV channels and et cetera, but now it's the biggest team I have had. So it's, there's a lot of mm -hmm. learnings there. 
So it definitely, I, what are these challenges? I, I think one of the things I think a lot of our clients are tackling with that we are tackling as well is how to really make the hybrid work. So we were hybrid, even a hybrid company, meaning that we allow people to work from either yeah. office home, traveling. So we had, we were that even before COVID hit. I think the more your organization grows, you have operations different, like it's uh, probably that's some to make it really work as well as it works when you're or in the same mm. time and space. I think yeah. that is the, te- and we are not unique in that, but this is definitely that we're constantly trying to figure out. For example, we have our bi-weekly all hands, which used to, used to be also hybrid, that part of people are in headquarters, watching, there's a camera and then you see like a group of people. And then part of them are remote, but now we've turned it completely remote, meaning that even if I'm at the mm-hmm. office and others, we are only on that one screen. Otherwise, yeah. it's just very different experience for somebody sitting here and then somebody sitting remotely. So I think figuring those hybrids, as a, I'm not a believer in full remote. In that sense, I believe much more in the hybrid mm-hmm. people need together time. I just had my management team, management across the three countries, India, Spain, and Estonia. And we had an offsite last week where everybody was together in one room for three mm-hmm. days. We got so much done. Like we need that. Like this time is Absolutely. very necessary. Yeah. So I think figuring this hybrid effectiveness fully out is something that we're constantly tackling with. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially from a leadership perspective, that in-person and face-to-face contact is so important because there is a lot of uh, what happens in communication, right? For somebody who is a software engineer, maybe that is different. For anybody who is dealing with people or has to talk all day, like Mm -hmm. we have to figure out a way to make sure that we meet also regularly. And then Mm -hmm. I think between those meetings, then virtual can play a very good and very complimentary So you mentioned about hybrid, but I'm quite curious, what kind of challenges do you see? Is it more about coordinating of work? Mm. Are people dropping balls or is it more about Mm. trust, empathy and Mm. cultural togetherness as a company? I think it can be both. I think it depends on, I think in there, in some areas, it's easier, probably like engineering, for example, it's Mm -hmm. easier, like you said before, to have everybody remote and then maybe like in the support side, it's a little bit harder to coordinate everyone remote to make sure that people are putting 100% of their best into work. I think it's also how to make them, because people value the hybrid a lot. So I meet Mm -hmm. different teams without their manager, either team without their manager, or we do also what I call mix and match, meaning that somebody from engineering, somebody from product, somebody from, so different team members having a meeting with me. Super insightful. I recommend to use it. I actually took the skip level meeting idea from Tik Costolo, who was a Twitter's CEO years ago. But anyway, so skip level meetings, I hear two things, love remote, love hybrid. But I miss, we should have more of yeah. this togetherness. So it's like people, you know, how to now provide, we give you that flexibility, but that you would actually get that togetherness mm. feeling. So I, I think that's, again, we are not, I know we are not unique in this, but that's the, the constant struggle we're trying to figure out. Yeah. But thank you for sharing those two examples. I think it there is a common theme emerging, at least from mm. my work with many entrepreneurs, that you have to be more deliberate and maybe mm. you have to slow down and not let any meeting become only transactional because in the virtual yeah, world, it's so, so easy to slow down and we talk mm-hmm. about your emotions or take some mm-hmm. time in the beginning. 
to really address the person rather than the problem or the task yeah, exactly. you're dealing with. And I think what you mentioned about those mm. skip level and those mix and match like meetings, mm. I think that's mm. a very good deliberate step, which uh, maybe happens like naturally if we are sitting together, but now that, it doesn't mm-hmm. happen. So thank you for all. Yeah. And actually, on uh, in addition to that, something that my team really loves, and again, an idea that we have ideas out there, so it doesn't mean that I invented that. I actually, I think mm-hmm. this one I took from Pryshevsky from Airbnb, that every Sunday I write a letter to my team. I go, mm. It's called Sunday Updates for Monday. It can be about life. It can be about business. It can be about, you know, whatever topic that is somehow knitting. In. And to be honest, like this, this has, uh, so... Just the simple format and the commitment to the team to do that every Sunday is something that the team really appreciates and brings people together. So Mm -hmm. that's also an idea maybe somebody wants to use. Yeah, I'm sure many of the things that we have discussed Mm -hmm. will be very useful for a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of CEOs. So thank you for sharing those from your experience. And we are also towards the close of our time, but I would like to ask you one question, right? What is the future that you see for immigration Mm -hmm. And travel, because if I see like even passports and visa is a new thing. It's not like they have never existed in history until maybe like 150 years ago, 120 years ago. So given that Mm -hmm. we are almost borderless in a way that we work virtually, what do you Mm -hmm. see the future of Mm -hmm. like cross-country travel and movement? Yeah. I think there's a few elements and I didn't know. I actually gave a TED talk on the main TED stage two years ago on this topic, why we need to upgrade our passports. Is actually, passport itself is relatively new. It is actually a century old, but the way it was, so first there are different elements and one element is the whole idea of identity and passport because passport has not really evolved since century ago. It is working quite similarly as it was. And it was created by a Western-centric organization. So it was protecting Western countries and kind of the opposite to countries who were not too Western. And that system made sense maybe economically back then, because then it was the highly educated people coming from Western countries. Now it's actually shifted. So if you look at the highly educated migrants, where they're coming from, top three are India, China and Philippines. So it's completely, so everybody, we should let people from there in, yet Hmm. the system is doing the opposite. So I think that one core thing, and this is what our actually technology can help in, is that because we collect uh, over 500 data points from each individual and each of that data point, we then match to the systems and the forms that are required to get from one country to another. So in a way, our system is already becoming like a backbone of your relocation identity. Mm. And we could actually, through that, help countries quite a bit. I have said that if you think about where we are in terms of immigration processes globally, is about probably 60, 70 years ago, there was a moment when all the public sectors were working with a typewriter. Imagine that, right? The typewriter, yeah. you type, and then you put the paper, and then you put an envelope, and then you send somebody. And then came somebody talking about test a computer. You just click, and then it goes email, and then land somebody. And probably it was a very scary discussion, because how can, you know, I see a paper here. How can I trust this black box? And then it goes yeah. somewhere, right? But there was a shift. And that shift happened and that shift made like enormous increase in effectiveness of the public sector. I think today the immigration processes and systems in terms of the public sector are in that place where the shift is starting to happen. That the country seeing that it's 
system is so poor, so outdated, but they're a little bit cautious about making the changes. So probably I would predict that in the next two to four years, there will be like typewriters to desktop mm. shift, so to say, typewriters, but like basically going from the paper heavy to digital. So I think we are in that transition time in terms of how the cross-border movement works. And uh, I have jokingly said also that we are, on one hand, we are making like really e easing the whole uh, movement process, but we're also saving the planet because imagine how much paper we can save if you don't have to print out those like hundreds of pages of yeah. forms and then take to the official. So that's going to be good for our planet as well. But I'm very optimistic. Yeah. I think that we are in a transition time right now. Thank you for sharing that because I think one thing which I say to every leader that beyond your role, you have also a wider leadership responsibility for the planet, right? Or for the wider ecosystem or the industry. And I think you're, what you're doing is like you uniquely positions you to speak mm -hmm. on some of these matters, which can not just impact you and your business, but also many yeah, other exactly. people, right? So thank you for adding that. And as we end, anybody who might be listening and who might want to know more about what you're doing, either for work reasons or personally, what is the best way? for them mm -hmm. to reach out to you. So feel free to follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or just go to jubatical.com. And if you write there, then most probably you will, it will reach me as well. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Karoli. Thank you for sharing you. everything shared and for who you are. And I think there is a lot of wisdom here for many listeners who will listen to this. And I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting That's it. For this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta, I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.